Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilfo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? You know, I am feeling quite good coming off of a uh, road SEC win, personally. I don't know about you. Yeah, so uh, get, to give people a little bit of a glimpse into how we uh, do our podcast, we have the stuff that we're going to talk about all mapped out. We, you know, we're going to do the, the home field ad here. We're going to do game balls here. We're going to do this, that, blah, 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 blah. For... We have number one intro, that's for every show, and then we have our number two thing. And our number two thing on today's episode is just the words JESUS CHRIST in all caps. Because, Nick, it was something you and I talked about on the postgame show, man, but I, I could not have seen one Penn State blowing Auburn out 41-12 to 12 coming, or you know, just blowing Auburn out in general coming, or two, blowing Auburn out in the manner that they blew Auburn out coming. Yeah, I mean, like, so if you step back and we, you know, we talked about, we said, you know, we talked about how Auburn's not in a good place. Um, that, that That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, certainly not now. Um, and I suppose, like, considering that, you know, maybe we should have at least considered it as an option, but just, I mean, there's a reason, this was their worst loss at home since, what, I think it's a 2012 on the broadcast, yeah. last time they yeah. gave up, they lost by 29 points at home. it's to me it's this this game says more i know that auburn comes out looking like a tire fire and they are but i think it's also kind of fair to say we learned more about penn state in this game than auburn yeah i let's let's say the two things that we thought well the three things that we thought going into this game were going to give penn state trouble number one was Auburn's backfield and Auburn's ability to run the football. Um, I don't know about you. You know, I'll go through all three and then I'll kick it back to you. I don't know about you. I was, even though they did this in Happy Valley last year, I was shocked at just how disinterested they seemed in finding ways to get the ball into Jarquez Hunter and especially Tank Bigsby's hands. Number two, the environment the road environment, how nasty Auburn is, how, and this is like, I'm not saying this to like come and go, Oh, it's nothing. Well, like legitimately, this is part of the magic of Auburn that Jordan Hare is a very difficult place to play football games. And Penn state had no trouble with it. And we'll talk about that. And specifically Sean Clifford's role in that in a minute. And then three, we figured Nick that, if there was one thing we could bet on Auburn doing, it was having a front seven that was going to win against Penn State's offensive line and make it difficult for Nick Singleton and Katron Allen specifically to get loose. And Auburn went 0 for 3 on those things. And yeah, if I told you before the game they were going to go 0 for 3 on those things, you would have been a little b- more open to the thought of, okay, maybe Penn State wins this one comfortably. But, like, God, all three of those things failing. Yeah, a big amount of that is on Auburn, but boy, Penn State just went in there and took care of business. Yeah, the disinterest in getting their very good running backs involved in the game continues to be shocking. Like, their two best plays of the game were that short pass to Bigsby that he turned into like a 30-something yard gain, I want to say mm-hmm. it was, and then the touchdown to Jarquez Hunter. And like, you know, at a certain point in the game, I get it. Like, you're down yeah. 
20 points. Like you can't be running the ball on every play, but it's just so odd the way that they are like, man, if there was one player in the country, I could put on a different team. Let me put tank somewhere else. that's going to use him. Yeah. I mean, just real quick, Brian Harson said that that because they were chasing the game and they were like, they basically, he made it sound like Auburn had to throw to get back into it. Penn State was not up by more than one score until the 12-16 mark of the third quarter, which was when Penn State got the ball in the second half. It was 14-6 going into halftime. Auburn gets the ball out of the break. They go Tank Bigsby run for a loss of two, incompletion, Findlay sack punt. Like, it, the entire game plan, well, obviously we're going to spend plenty of time talking about Penn State, but boy, it just, it seems like they scared Auburn almost into getting away from the thing they could probably do well because they just felt desperate from the very beginning, which is, you know, big kudos to Manny Diaz and Penn State's defense for that. Yeah, and it was, but like, like at the same time, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it was very feast or famine for Auburn's running game. It was either they were biting off like a six, seven yard chunk or they're getting tackled for loss. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I get, I, I guess I understand the fear knowing that, yeah you know you can't throw the ball, so if you take a loss on any down, you're probably done for that possession. So I guess I get that, but also mm-hmm. you still can't throw the ball. So what is your plan here? Yeah, I, that I didn't really get. Um, as far as the crowd, I think we talked about how, uh, and, and maybe, and I know I mentioned that, like, you know, the the crowd, the Auburn fans very much know that that program is down bad right now. And I, I, I questioned, you know, how intense they were going to be. And I know that Jerry did not on his portion of the preview podcast, but man, they, they, they brought it until Auburn gave them a reason to shut down. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. They, they, they were very much still alive and well, I'm mean, for most of the first, pretty much all the first half. I the the late interception or the late fumble rather, mm-hmm. I think, put them in a pretty. I mean, going into halftime, they were that was a you know they were all sleeping like it was it was dead yeah. at halftime, um, and then obviously the third quarter really got away from them, so they were totally out of it by that point. But yeah, it was. It sounded like a great atmosphere early on, and just they couldn't sustain it. Not to any fault of their own. I don't blame yes. them. Like that was a really tough performance by your team and when uh, specifically when owen popo put sean clifford into the dirt like at that moment i thought oh these fans are going to be juiced for the rest of the game and again we're going to talk about clifford in a little bit i think it's a big testament to him you know just uh what he's got right here and what he's got right here that he for didn't those of you who are not it. watching bill pointed to his heart and his head general area of my heart. I'm not a doctor. Uh, it says a lot about those two things that he was able to take that hit on the uh, one, two, like third or fourth. Yeah. Third play of the game for Penn state's yeah. offense and be fine. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, we'll talk about that in a second. Then Nick, the third thing, Auburn's front. Yeah. We said, you know, we said going into this game, the two thing Auburn, you know, they might be a mess, but the two things that we knew that, they are supposed to be able to do and i believe still can do is run the ball and have a strong front seven and penn state stopped their running game and they didn't let their front seven do anything and that's the story of the game and let me let me go through this real quick 
Here are the starters in Auburn's front seven. Cam Riley, four-star linebacker. He played a little bit of special team. He played mostly special teams and like uh, occasional stabs last year. Jason Jones, a four-star defensive tackle, started at Oregon, played a little bit at Oregon, came uh, to Auburn. Marcus Harris, guy who played for them last year. Uh, Eku Liotta, he was a third-team All-Big Ten player in 2020 at Northwestern. Owen Popo is a preseason third-team All-SEC guy. Colby Wooden, a second-team preseason All-SEC guy. Derek Hall, first-team preseason All-SEC guy. I think that we can certainly sit here and say that Auburn's defensive – Auburn's front seven, Auburn's defense, whatever you want to say, isn't as good as it usually is. But I don't think you can sit here and say there is no talent up there. And between the mix of what Penn State's offensive line did and what Penn State's running backs did, that group of guys got completely taken out of the game. Yeah, I... I mean, there were a couple times where Clifford stepped up in the pocket, but even some of those, like it wasn't necessarily because of pressure. It's just because that's kind of where the play was leading him. Like, mm-hmm. I, I honestly cannot remember a single moment where I really thought that Clifford was in put in any sort of peril by the defensive yeah. line. Zero yeah, like, sacks was, on the day for Auburn. Yeah, that was a we talked about in the post-game spaces like to say that Penn State's offensive line is fixed going forward is definitely premature, mm-hmm. but boy, did they look a lot better. Nick, they ran the ball 39 times and threw it 23 times. Nick Singleton, 10 carries. Katron Allen, 9 carries. Devin Ford, 7 carries. Kayvon Weed, 4. Sean Clifford, 6. There are 36 of the 39 Sean Clifford had to throw the football 19 times. Penn State went in there and like, I'm still, we are doing this on Monday at 5.45 p.m. I am still trying to wrap my head around exactly how Penn State was able to kick their asses like that. Not in like the final score way, in the we are coming into your building and we are making it our building sort of way. That, forget that doesn't happen with Auburn. Forget Penn State doesn't do it. That doesn't happen in college football all that frequently, Nick, and yet we saw it on Saturday. Yeah, we haven't seen Penn State do that to a team. I mean, a, a team of that caliber since the Cotton Bowl against Memphis. And again, yeah. you know, that's the type of team that you should have. Like, that's where the advantage is. It's on the lines. That's just mm-hmm. the difference in the guys you recruit. Um, yeah, I we haven't seen the line on both sides be as dominant as they were today in mm-hmm. quite a long time. Yeah. And let's dive into this game. Let's talk. What I want to do is we'll start with Penn state's uh, offense. We'll break it into Sean Clifford in the passing game versus the running game. Then we'll go to Penn state's defense. Talk about that a little bit more uh, in depth. And I think it'll be pretty quick talking about Penn state's passing game and Sean Clifford, but Nick, my big theory on this game was coming into it. This game is the specific game why Penn State brought Sean Clifford back, why they didn't go out and try to beat out Auburn for a guy like Zach Calzada, who is now their third-string quarterback, which, you know, 
how the, that young man beat Alabama last year. Like, I, I, how the hell that happened? I don't know. Just it's don't ask they, Brian Harsons any questions about him because no, you will not, not be pleased with nope. the answer. No, I, I don't think many things make Brian Harson happy nowadays. <laughs> uh, they did. They didn't do that. They didn't hand the reins right to Drew Aller. They didn't hand the reins to Christian Bayer. They said, Sean, we're looking at how this schedule plays out, and we want you back. And I think this game validated that because Sean Clifford, 14 for 19, 178 yards, no touchdowns. That was probably his most in-control performance of anything we see. He beat Auburn in that game before every single snap that he took, I would argue. What what do you say about uh, Clifford's performance? Yeah, so there have been, I believe everything that I'm going to reference here, we've seen on On3 is where where they've been doing that analysis. Um, But they made the point that Auburn just didn't really try to trick Clifford, for lack of a better term. Like what they lined up in pre-snap as far as coverage looks go is kind of what they stayed in. And that, I mean, that's... For Sean, like you can complain about Sean Clifford all you want, but if he knows where the defense is going to be, he's going to pick you apart. Like he is, I, I, a lot of people I know that I know that the Drew Aller discourse is going to continue, but Sean Clifford is a really talented quarterback with a great arm. And if you allow him to be able to pick apart your defense, he's going to do it. Um, but yeah, this was, man, I mean, I, as far as like another performance where he was as comfortable, cause like he was great last year against Auburn, but I wouldn't say it was the most comfortable effort. Like it took some, it took some doing like we're probably talking. Yeah, he, he had to go out there and win the game against Auburn. last year. He didn't, he didn't have to throw for Penn state to win the game yeah. last year. Last year's game against Auburn, 280 yards, two touchdowns, and interception. Penn State ran the ball for 2.5 yards per carry. Uh, he wasn't sacked last year either, so that I do find that interesting. But the like the entire thing is, Nick, you're right with everything you said. Sean is also a smart guy. Mm-hmm. He is a guy who, if he knows what you're trying to do, he's going to point it out. And there were so many instances in this game where – he went up to check at the line of scrimmage and he pointed out, boom, 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 boom. This is everything that they're going to try to do. They would do exactly that. The offensive line knew exactly what they had to do, which I think that's a that's part of the reason they did such a good job keeping up, right? The other one is just like they got some dudes up there. And mm-hmm. as a result, it wasn't an, the kind of performance that is going to make any of us start banging on the table and go, Sean Clifford needs to be a Heisman contender. Sean Clifford needs to be uh, a first team, all big 10 contender, but it is the kind of performance that makes us like reevaluate our, I I will go as far as say reevaluate our expectations on the entire season, because that's just what happens when you put up 40 plus points in sec country. Yeah. We said, you know, we said preseason repeatedly that the, best path to success for Penn state and Penn state's offense and Sean Clifford in particular this year was for the running game to get going. So it could start to look more like what we saw, especially in the tail end of 2019. Like Mm -hmm. that is the best version of Sean Clifford as a Penn state Nittany line where he doesn't have to go put the game on his shoulders. I think he is still capable of doing so when he needs to, but that is not their recipe. They like their recipe is to allow him to pick apart defenses that are now having to actually prepare for a right. Penn State rushing attack. 
Right. When you could, like, it changes the complexion of your entire offense in the obvious way, which is you now have uh, the thing that you can go to for five, six yards a pop on the ground. But the other way is all of a sudden, if you're putting, if you're just having one guy whose job is focusing on Parker Washington, one guy whose job is focusing on Mitchell Tinsley, one guy whose job is focusing on this tight end room, that unlocks those guys. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't see, Mitchell Tinsley didn't do a ton uh, during no, the game again because they didn't have to. Yeah, right. Because he didn't he didn't have to. But the one play that he made where Clifford threw it up for him and he went up to get the football, like that's the sort of thing that becomes a lot easier when there is one dude on Mitchell Tinsley who is manning him up and Tinsley could just go make a play against him. Parker Washington, he plays at one third the speed of everyone else and is capable of always getting open. And then Brenton Strange, he had some quote after the game. I need to go find it. But it was something to the extent of oh, when he said no yeah. one should be able to tackle me. Right. I'm 6'3", yeah. 245. Like, you should not be able to tackle me. And I think we've seen him play early on in the season, especially with Theo Johnson out. We've seen him played with just like this renewed sense of pride mm-hmm. that I find really exciting. Because now, if it's not like last year, where opposing teams are just rushing four guys and they're able to shut down Penn State's entire running game, the potential for a new dimension in the passing game opens way up. And like, Nick, we haven't seen that since 2019. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, it's, yeah. And I'm glad that you pointed out Strange too, because he's the guy most well positioned mm-hmm. to benefit from all this. Like he's the guy yeah. that is going to consider, and Tyler Warren and whoever the second tight end out of the field is, right? It, it'll, it'll probably, I, I think you probably agree with me that in terms of like going out there and catching passes, it's going to be Theo Johnson. But, yes. you know, he, he has, you know, I don't want don't want to say this, want to know this week, blah, blah, blah. He has four weeks to get up to speed before they head into Ann Arbor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the best version of this offense still involves Theo Johnson catching passes for sure. Um, but yeah, like this is, I mean, Brenton Strange is right. Like if you, if you throw him the ball with space around him, it should take a minimum of two guys to take him down. And he's, right. you know, I, and I wonder how much of it too is that, I think the tight end room knows that they had a down year last year. Um, Even if you want to just boil it down to literally catching the ball, a lot of drops from that room last year. And I think they're, you know, I I'd like to think they're taking it personally. Like there is a very strong recent history of tight end play at Penn state. And Mm -hmm. I am sure that Brenton strange wants to be that next dude. And you know, the thing that happens when you have Mike Kosicki and Pat Fryer at the head of you, if you can just, if you can just put on tape and show that you are, like good enough for the NFL, they're going to mm-hmm. give you that little twinge of benefit of the doubt just because of the guys that came in front of you in that system. So like, right. I think Brenton strange knows that this is his opportunity to find his way to the league. So mm-hmm. yeah, love seeing, love seeing those guys get involved. Yeah. There were a few, you know, we'll talk, we're going to talk about the running game in a second, a few moments in the game where you saw Brenton strange, like throw some blocks that, previous versions of Brenton strange just could not do. And then Mm -hmm. in the passing game, he was so good at just like finding little pockets of space, sitting down in them and giving Clifford that little outlet. I mean, he led Penn state on the day, six receptions, 80 yards of a Penn state's top three pass catchers because number four is Sean Clifford, uh, Brenton strange, Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley. He had the fewest yards per reception, uh, the shortest long reception, but he, you know, had a 
really, really solid game. Uh, big shout out to Keandre Lambert Smith too. Um, there are Some a few block. things I love more. One, oh, his block on Nick Singleton's touchdown run. <sighs> on like the 54 awesome. yard of the house. My God, that like you can see why they want him on the field if he's the kind of guy who's willing to do that, even if he has to work through some inconsistencies with catching the ball. And then two, I'll just say it, that was a that was a dime that he threw to <laughs> Sean Clifford and a, a a well executed quarterback screen when Clifford gets out there and has three offensive linemen running ahead of him. Nick, ooh, there was nothing like it. Yes, Keandre, please teach uh, DJ Dallas how to throw football, please, and thank you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I continue to adore Keandre Lambert Smith. I still think that he is the best third receiver option for this offense. Um, I and f- soon to be second option next year. I think I, he's just you know the pieces are all there. It's just it's so close to being all put together. I I think still think he's going to get there. I I think he is just an absolute ball to watch play football. I, I love that. He loves to block. He's embraced blocking too. I, somebody pointed out, I think, I don't think they said this during the spaces, but somebody tweeted out us during the spaces talking about how, you know, one of the hallmarks of those 2016 and 2017 teams was how good of blockers the receivers were Godwin yes. and Hamilton and uh, not as much Kasiki, but you know, even he took strides. He got a lot better as a yeah. blocker too. Um, side Blacknell. Side Blacknell, great blocker. Yeah. Like this, I mean, and this group is very much, I mean, Tinsley, I know he got the the holding call in this game, but I think he's been solid as a blocker. We know Parker Washington's a dog when he goes to block. So, you know, this is, this is an awesome unit. Yeah. And I'll say this, um, little, little cause for concern Penn state, uh, per Bill Connolly, Penn state's passing versus man coverage success rate of 27.3%, but against zone coverage, 77.8%, uh, Penn state really struggled on third and seven plus success rate of 20%, an explosive play rate of 0.0%. I think they went in there, uh, just deciding they weren't going to be able to take the top off of Auburn's defense. And they play, you know, you know, they played to their strengths. I mean, Parker Washington's really great at getting open against zone coverage. Brenton Strange, good at getting open against zone coverage. So we'll dog ear that. We'll move on to the... And, and, you know, with such a small sample size too, I know, because the I think it was a third down play where um, Clifford tried to hit Keandre Lambert Smith on that slant over the middle and he threw it behind him. And the, the mm-hmm. DB acted yeah. like he made the greatest play in the world and it basically hit oh, the DB it's so in the funny chest. when that happens. Um, I love so that. It's that so happens. great. Um, uh, but with, so with, great. With such, uh, damn it. I know, I know, I know. But with it's such okay. limited, with such limited throws in the game, I like one play like that can really skew numbers when it comes to that. So I, yeah. I it's worth pointing out. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Penn State's running game. Um, whew. Boy, uh, last year, Penn State's running game against Auburn. Uh, Noah Kane, 19 carries, 45 yards, 2.5 yard, four yards per carry, a touchdown long of nine yards. Oh. Sean Clifford, six, 16, 2.7 yards. Kayvon Lee, two, 15, 7.5. John Lovett, two, nine, 4.5. This year, Nick Singleton, 10, 124, 12.4 <laughs> yards per carry two touchdowns. Katron Allen, nine for 52, 5.8 yards per carry, two scores. Sean Clifford had a touchdown in there. Kayvon Wee, four for 18 before he went out. Devin Ford, seven for 37, 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, Nick, we it's a thing that you heard a ton heading into the season. Yeah, the offensive line, you know, temper expectations, but 
you know, Sal Wormley's going to be here. We like Fashanu, blah, blah, blah. A big thing coming into the year was we think these two true freshmen bring something to the running back room that we have not had since Noah Kane was healthy and Journey Brown was in the midst of breaking out. And I don't know if you can more emphatically announce yourself to the country than we saw these two true freshmen do this week. Yeah, it's it is very apparent when you watch them run that they are different. Um, I've said before on the podcast this year, I think Kevon Lee looks like a better runner this year than he did last year. Yeah. But there is a difference between the way Kevon Lee hits the hole and between the way and between, as opposed to the way that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen hit the hole, like Singleton, especially you give him an inch. He's taken a mile. It's, it's, the second that they open a hole in that offensive line for him, he's through in a flash. Katron Allen, you know, not as fast, but equally as adept at finding the lanes and getting through them. And he's, he has some wiggle too. Like he's, he doesn't have the speed or the elusiveness, I think, of Singleton, but he is really, really good. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's already making me kind of sad that I, his performance overall is going to get lost on a lot of people because I think he's going to be really good this year, just like Singleton. Um, but it is just a totally, it's a totally different game with those mm-hmm. two in the backfield. It is night and day. And, you know, I've heard, I've over the last couple of days, I've, I've heard a lot of people say things like, you know, it's, I've heard, I've heard counter arguments back and forth about like, it's the offensive line that makes the running game. Oh, it's the running backs that make the running game. In the end, it, it really is a codependent relationship, right? Like we've talked a lot about the visualization of like seeing that you can do it with the running game is a big factor for these guys. But when you're an offensive line and you see your running back bursting through a hole the way those two freshmen do, it gives you a little extra motivation to push harder on the next rep. So like they are both equally important here. They are making each other better with the way that they are running the football right now. And it is a blast to watch and devin ford looked great love devin, devin ford, ford. very good yeah I'm, I'm i'm going to read a few stats from bill now um yards before con- well uh let's see where should i start here boop, boop, boop. okay percentage of rushes zero yards or fewer this has been a big issue for penn state in recent years the number was 20.5 percent you'll take that so frequently penn state's running game gets stuffed in the backfield Didn't really happy this time around. Now to the far more fun ones. Yards before contact per rush for Penn State was at 4.3. And obviously, Mm. Singleton's big gains uh, factor into that a bit. But still, Penn State was basically picking up first downs before they uh, for anyone laid a hand on them. You go over to the specific guys. Katron Allen, that number was 1.4. Devin Ford, that number was 3.8. Basically, Katron Allen's really good at getting away from tackles. Devin Ford, by the time he got in, was actually picking stuff up before guys were waiting to finger on him. And now the real fun stuff. Penn State's run rate on third down in this game, on first down in this game, apologies, was 85.2%. Penn State's run rate in the red zone was 90.9%. Penn State made the decision in this football game and shocked, shocks me. Penn State made the decision in this football game that Auburn was not going to be able to stop them from running the football. Let me say that again. Penn State, 
a program in recent years defined by their complete inability to run the football, went into Auburn's stadium and decided that Auburn's defense had no chance of stopping them from running the football. We saw that play out, Nick. Um, Obviously, Singleton's big gains helped considerably with that, but you just think about what this means for Penn State's running game going forward. The next couple of weeks, Central Michigan and Northwestern, they should be able to win up front there. And my God, we're suddenly talking about a Penn State running running game that just has not existed in years because, like you mentioned, there's more talent at running back and the offensive line is in a spot where you're not just going to be able to push them around no matter what, basically no matter what five man combination you're putting out there, you know, Caden Wallace and Bryce Effner still got some stuff they got to work on. Uh, Landon Tangwall is still growing, but otherwise like you're happy with whoever they throw out there. The tight ends are factoring in there. This is not just a solid running game or an impressive game. It's like looking like it could be a complete running game, which weird. Yeah. I, I, again, I think it was on three that was breaking down all the different ways that Penn state was running the ball in this game. And I think last year, just because the limitations of the offensive line and the running backs themselves and the offense in general mm-hmm. kind of dictated as much, the running game was very vanilla. It was basically zone read, run zone, read, run zone, read, run. And that was it. Mm-hmm. We saw them in this game run out of the zone, read look, we saw them run out of the single back look. We saw them run out of the pistol. Like we saw them do a whole bunch of different things. And then not only did they run different ways out of those looks, but then they incorporated their passing game into that too. Yep. It's the thing that we loved so much about the idea of Mike Yersich. And, you know, going back, it's the thing we loved so much about Joe Moorhead is this idea of taking the same exact formation and having like 15 different plays that you can run out of it that all functionally right. look the same at the start. You you want and you want to get the ball into the hands of your dudes and just give them a chance to do something and yeah. then trust that they can. Yeah, and it's we're we're getting to see now Mike Yurcich's like the totality of his creativity. We've seen him be pretty creative with the passing game. Speaking of which, we've only seen like one bubble screen this year. Like so, there's like whole other like dimensions of the offense, and I I loved the bubble screen. The bubble screen was worked really well last year. Um, there's a whole. I think there's still like parts of this offense that they haven't even had to break out yet. But we're mm-hmm. seeing the totality of his creativity now because he's not he's not only having to limit, you know, what he's calling the game, like the way he's calling the game as far as passing the game goes. Like he's able to now incorporate these different fun elements mm-hmm. of the run game and the offense looks, I mean, they just look really good. And then speaking of fun, uh, Penn state's defense decided that nobody on Auburn was going to have a good time this uh, weekend. TJ Finley, 11 for 19, 152 yards, one interception, Robbie Ash for 10 for 19, 144 yards, a touchdown and an interception. The two of them were sacked six times. Auburn ran the ball 3.3 yards, a pop. Uh, They turned it over four times. Nick, we're going to make sure to uh, stress that 
at any given time, Auburn has like one and a half good players on offense out there. I don't think their mm-hmm. offensive line was very good at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think their quarterbacks are especially good. Although like you see stuff in both and you're like, all right, maybe, maybe with some work, maybe one of them could get there. Their pass catchers just like they had the one dude, I forget who it was who went up in a that third down grab. In, yeah. The third down grab, but otherwise just, it seemed like a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. But boy, Penn State's defense, we saw in one bad way that we will get to, but in numerous good ways, what Penn State's defense is capable of doing under Manny Diaz. Yeah, this was um, not a perfect defensive performance. You'd like to see fewer third downs converted, but even like some of those are fluke. Like it took that incredible catch on third down. It took Daquan Hardy slipping on that third and 24, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, TJ Finley just making some nice moves on the ground with his feet on a couple of them. But uh, this defense is awesome. Like it's, it's fun, man. This having the secondary that you have right here just affords Manny Diaz the freedom to do so many fun things. Like when you know, and they're not going to be perfect all year. Like when they play Ohio state, Ohio state is going to complete passes. It's going to be a, awesome matchup between the Penn state secondary and the Ohio state pass catchers, but they are going to complete passes. It's just going to happen. But the luxury that Diaz is afforded by the personnel he has back there is, I, I I would wonder whether he's ever really felt like he can do some of the things that he can do with this defense, the things he can do with Abdul Carter and things he can do with, um, you know, bringing Johnny Dixon on a blitz, bringing Daquan Hardy on a blitz. Like there is, this defense is truly, truly loaded. And he like with Kobe King, I thought Kobe King played outstanding on Saturday. So when you have him and Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs now ascending at linebacker, suddenly I don't have any questions anymore about this defense. Like every level is set. They look so good. And Auburn is not the team to find a way to beat them. I, I will say this. Uh, Auburn had some amount of success against Penn State when it went uh, man coverage. Uh, Auburn's uh, success rate against Penn State in man was 44.4%. Explosive play rates, 27.8%. Uh, those numbers against zone, 40.9% and 13.6%, respectively. What that basically means is that when Penn State went man, Auburn was able to find that little bit something extra uh, in the air. Of course, there were some really good plays in there, guys slipping, whatever. Third and seven, Auburn had 11 such plays, 6.3 yards per play. You don't love that because you're setting yourself up to be on a fourth and one, you know, on average. Success rate, 36.4%. Explosive play rate, 27.3%. Again, you don't love that. So, there is that thing they need to clean up. They need to figure out what sure. are you going to do uh, when you're in the third and long? Are you going to play prevent? Are you going to go man? Are you blitzing? Blah, blah, blah. Like the, the re- book on Manny Diaz is that there are going to be the havoc plays. There are going to be the turnovers. There are going to be those sorts of things, but there are going to be times when you get burned. And Penn State got a lesson in that. It's a thing that they could hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, not, I'm not going to knock on wood. It'll wake my dog up, uh, learn from that, adjust whatever else. And that's a problem like that. That's a problem they need to fix. Otherwise, my God, 
Penn State's defensive line was spectacular. They had 12 havoc plays in this game. Penn State's uh, 11 tackles for loss, six sacks, three passes defended, nine quarterback hurries. You know, when you talk about fumbles and fumble luck and all those sorts of things, they come with a very uh, specific connotation. Uh, I, I do understand that. I thought Penn State forced those. They were seeking out trying to force fumbles. There was that funny uh, third and long that Finley converted where Daquan Hardy is just like holding onto him and trying to punch the football out and couldn't do it. But Penn State was actively going for that stuff and they were able to get it and they were able to force it. It was part of their game plan. It seemed we can turn these guys over Uh, the pick. Uh, that Jire Brown had against Robbie Ashford was spectacular. The pick that TJ Finley threw was because there was just pressure coming from Jalen Reed and he felt like he had to do something and Zaki Wheatley just caught it. Like we saw the best and the, con- the concerning part is there again, it's something I have to fix Nick, but with how aggressive this defense was in getting after the quarterback and in trying to get the football, we saw glimpses of a Penn state defense that if all works out is going to give problems to Michigan, to Ohio state and to whatever other high powered offenses they face as the year goes on. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the turnovers, right? Because those were not, I mean, you could, you could say the first interception, I mean, well, interceptions inherently are always mistakes, right? But you're like you were absolutely spot on like Penn State forced those interceptions yes the fumbles were not just like fluky drop the ball no they got punched out on both occasions like those were not fluke turnovers any of the four they were all 100% forced by the Penn State defense which is why frankly I yeah the third down stuff is not great but when you're counterbalancing that with turning the ball over even the offense didn't really do anything off the turnovers um but when you're counterbalancing that with turnovers when you're counterbalancing that with really really good red zone defense yeah i mean i'll take yeah. it like I, i'm fine with that trade-off um yeah this is this defense i mean it's just the defensive line we talked about it before that chop robinson adisa isaac every snap they look more comfortable every snap they're mm-hmm. getting the quarterback one step faster Hakeem Beeman and PJ Mustafer, I mean, I wouldn't say they were like, this was the best game they've ever put on tape, but Beeman was still getting in the quarterback's face. Mustafer was still doing his thing, just destroying space in the middle of the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. Like this, if you, when you can do what Penn State's defensive line is proving that it can do, you are going to cause problems against any team you face, Michigan and Ohio State included. Like get, get, get home with four and everything becomes a lot easier. Yeah. And you get home with four and suddenly Mandy Diaz gets to do interesting things that don't involve blitzing and gets to just do interesting things with guys dropping in and out of zones and just creating chaos for a quarterback's eyes. Like there is just when you can pressure with four, the sky is the absolute, absolute limit. Like you can do anything defensively if you pressure with four. Yeah, and I'm going to make us some money in a half second, but just one more thing that I want to mention. Auburn had 12 plays in the red zone against Penn State's defense and scored six points. 
And I believe going into this game, they had not entered the red zone without scoring a touchdown to this point this year. I th- it, believe they something said that. like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the touchdown uh, that they had was for 22 yards uh, where Ashford threw to uh, Jark West Hunter and he was able to take it in. But once Auburn got into the red zone, 12 red zone plays, 16.7% red zone success rate, no touchdowns. Like that, that doesn't happen. Even again, I'm we're adding the caveat that Auburn's offense has a lot of issues that it needs to work through. Um, I want to see Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac go up against uh, increasingly better comp. I, you know, I don't want them going right to uh, having to challenge an NFL offensive line or anything like that. But both of those guys are dogs. Again, we're going to talk about them, I'm sure, when we hand out some game balls in a second. But Really impressive performance by Penn State's defense. Uh, Nick, I'm going to make us some money right now and talk about the podcast's sponsor, Homefield Apparel. If you are a college sports fan and you're on the internet, you've almost certainly seen Homefield Apparel, but if you're not, they are a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. I, all of their shirts, they're really comfortable. They're very unique. They have really interesting and cool designs, concepts, all these sorts of things. I am currently wearing one right now, a Penn State National Championship t-shirt. I'm sure they already have a plan in store for the 2023 National Championship t-shirt, but we can get to that later. Long story short, I love home field apparel. I wear home field apparel. Nick loves home field apparel. He wears home field apparel. And home field apparel loves Penn State because home field apparel had a competition called Big New Saturday where it would drop new gear for each new school. Penn State had the best day that anyone has had on Big New Saturday. They got a nice little little trophy for Penn State that I'm going to try to annoy them into sending me. But that's in the past. Look to the future. They have 15 pieces of Penn State gear in their line. And if you want any of it and you are a new customer, use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Again, new customers use the promo code roar lions roar one word, all uppercase for 15% off of your first order. Thank you very much for home field apparel for sponsoring this podcast. And Nick, I think it's time to hand out some game balls. Do you want to start on offense or defense? Yeah. And real quick, I'm, I'm very excited to, so I listen to podcasts at 1.5 speed because I'm not a psychopath. Anyone who listens to normal speed, I don't know how you do that. Um, I'm very excited to hear back you saying, the words home field apparel three times in like four seconds, because that was very impressive. Um, let's I, start I, on I'm offense. from New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. I can do that. Oh, uh, you were also from New Jersey. So neither yeah. here nor there. Uh, yeah. Let's start on offense. Uh, who you want to give yours to? So I have three dudes. I, so okay. for game balls, I have three dudes. I wrote down offensively and four. I wrote down defensively that I just want to make sure we mention in some way. First one is obvious. It's Nick Singleton, the dude who's averaging over 11 yards per rush right now, leading the country. Um, had whatever i think it was 247 sports somebody said maybe we'll see him in new york at the end of the year which i love the energy let's let's keep that rolling i but. i i wouldn't hate that <laughs> um but you know like we said he's he moves at a different gear out there like when you give him a hole he's gonna take it he's gonna take 40 yards after it he he has five rushes or five rushes this year i believe of 40 yards or more already penn state had two Euthanation. of those yeah, Penn State had two of those already um, in all of last year. Um, just he's he's different. He's he's not Saquon. He's not Miles. He's not Journey. He's got his own style. He does it his own way, and he's only a true freshman. Like his style yeah. is still evolving, but he's different. Like he's he is on the level of those guys when it comes to pure talent, and he is just yeah. special to watch. 
And and I'll say before you uh, hand out the next one that uh, Gabe Brooks of 24-7 Sports, when Singleton was uh, in high school, his comparison to him was Nick Chubb. And like, yeah, I, th- I, I think hmm. you can see that. Interesting. Just in terms heard- of the mix of speed and physicality. Like, he's not going to do the Saquon thing where he just like, starts over here and goes right. over here in like two tenths of a second. But his speed, his ability to put one cut and go, and just the power that he runs with, I, th- I like you can absolutely see a guy like Chubb. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I know uh, there was some video I was watching where somebody said Adrian Peterson. Which, sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, he, I want to see him like manhandle uh, defenders like college Adrian Peterson did. Yeah. But like, well, uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll I'll hear that one well, come yeah, back we'll, to it please we'll workshop that one um yeah so next one i'm gonna stay in the running back room katron allen i think mean, sure you the the things that nick singleton did like i don't think nick singleton has the game he has if katron allen doesn't also have the game he has because katron allen did a lot as far as softening the defense and made them mm-hmm. more prone to allowing the things that nick singleton did and again like if nick singleton Actually, I mean, Stark. Apparently, I heard somebody say he prefers Nicholas, so I'm going to try to stick okay, with Nicholas, Nicholas Singleton. Yeah, yeah. Um, the things that, like, if if Nicholas Singleton wasn't here, like Katron Allen would be like a very notable freshman star in the world of college football right now. Like, I firmly yeah. believe that. I agree. He, he does like he does it in a different way, but he does it in an equally effective way as for like what his plan of attack is on the field like he's not going to run by you but he is a lot shiftier than he gets credit for and he does have the ability to power through you but most importantly he has vision like he the thing that penn state's running backs the last few years have lacked is vision and katron mm-hmm. allen has that in spades like the touchdown was a great example that the first touchdown that was not supposed to be a cutback run but he no. saw it open up he saw that Fashanu got beat on that side and his guy was cutting, therefore cutting inside right at him. And he just stuck his foot in the ground and had nothing but green grass in front of him. Yeah. And I think, um, I think Tangwall made a good block on that play too. To yeah. Open, yeah. He did open that up. Yeah. Yeah. So Katron Allen gets one for me as well. Um, and then the last one I gave to the, give it to Sal Wormley because he continues to be a really, really solid offensive player. One thing that I noticed a lot, um, I still, I like we said, Caden Wallace, Bryce Effner, those guys are still working through some stuff. And it seemed like on a lot of those big plays, it was Caden Wallace was helping double team someone, or he was kind of just assigned to somebody at the next level. And I, that mm. oftentimes left Wormley to really handle someone totally on his own. And most of the time he did it. So I was really impressed yeah. with what I saw from him as well. I'm going to give it to five guys, and I'm just going to give it to Penn State's offensive line. I mean, I think that. When you, so much of it is considering where they have come, even over the course of this season. Like there were moments against Purdue where it just didn't quite look like you know it looked like uh, they still had growing to do, and they've done it. And I read it a little bit earlier. The amount of talent that is on that Auburn front, uh, they won far more often than they lost against those dudes. Olu Fushanu continues to be a rock, a left tackle, the right tackle. Uh, situation you know it's uh it's a bunch of guys working things out but juice scruggs sal wormley and then mostly landon tangwall with a little hunter norzad uh have done a really nice job on the inside of the offensive line so them and with a bit i'll give some special recognition uh to 
the tight ends who also can do, especially Brenton Strange and Tyler Warren for how they contributed in the blocking game. Like we've mentioned, Penn State went into this game thinking that they could push Auburn around up front, and they did that in a big way. Like this is, it was their best performance as a unit, like you mentioned, Nick, since the Cotton Bowl mm-hmm. against Memphis. And I think that, you know, everything's going to start up there for Penn State. This was a really good example of what it could look like when it does start up there. Uh, Let's move to the defensive side of the football. Who are you going with? So the first two I'll kind of name as a pair, and it's Chop and Adisa Isaac. Um, Like we said before, those two, just every snap, they look more comfortable. They look more dangerous. They look quicker. And those two continuing to generate pressure on their own is going to be the story of the season for Penn State's defense Mm -hmm. when when push comes to shove. Um, The other two guys... Uh, we mentioned him on the interception, but we haven't really talked about what Jair Brown did yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, incredible interception, amazingly athletic play. Also forced the, was it the first fumble? No, the second fumble of the game, uh, punching the ball out of TJ Finley's hands. I mean, he's just, he's he's everywhere. He is, yeah. like, coming into the season, we said that Jair Brown, he is the backbone of the defense. Like, he is the true like movable chess piece anywhere Diaz wants to put him. And he is continuing to shine and excel wherever he does get placed. And he's going to be a, you know, he's going to be an NFL player for a really long time, just like a multiple safeties ahead of him at Penn state. Um, And then the last one, Abdul Carter. I mean, he, Abdul Carter shined in a way, you know, in a day of standout, freshman performances it's tough to top what nicholas singleton did but abdul carter came really really close to doing just that <laughs> he is an absolute freak which we should have known they gave him 11 it they don't give out the number 11 mm-hmm. sparingly like it they understand what that means he is an absolute monster the like the blitz that led to the sack the um the force the first forced fumble of the game was him just the way he flies around the field it's going to be really interesting to see i like the only downside is that he is still curtis jacobs's backup and they like penn state doesn't do much with three linebacker sets at this point so there's no unless you want to shift one of them to the mic there's no real uh, that like that is not a simple shift and it's going to take like multiple weeks of practice mm-hmm. to do if you want to get them on the field at the same time plus kobe king played really well so i don't think he deserves to be taken off the field um but i'll be really interested to see if they try to find creative ways to get both those guys on the field at the same time because they are both game breakers yeah, I mean, I you know I'll give a quick shout out to Adisa Isaac. Obviously, three tackles for loss. I mean, the the complexion of like Wake mentioned, Penn State's defensive ends are able to get home and not even like sack the quarterback, just create havoc in the mm-hmm. backfield, speed them up, get to running backs, whatever. That's huge, and I think that uh, you know Robinson, while he was in a different place, he was playing football last year. Isaac was not playing football at all last year, and yeah. the fact that he's now where he is. Really impressive bounce back from, but yeah, I was going to give it to Carter. Six tackles, uh, tackle for loss, and a sack. He forced a fumble. He broke up a pass, and he uh, it, it makes you, in a way, even matter that he got thrown out of the Purdue game on such a bad call <laughs> because, like, that's we we've lost another game of watching this dude play football based off of that, and it really stinks. Um, yeah, but he's just such a special player. Like we mentioned, the fact that they gave him an, the number eleven means you know they think there's something there, and he showed it in a big way. I and mean, he 
he went into an SEC stadium as a true freshman linebacker and was the most impactful defensive player that either team had. And that's all you could really ask for. Uh, One last uh, shout out. uh, And I know my my guess is you uh, were going to do this at some point. Uh, Jake Pinnegar, two for two on field goals, five for five on extra points, banged one in from 48 yards out. Um, You know, Best, best looking kick of his career. Yeah. And I, you know, Pinnegar is, a uh, he missed one from 40 plus yards last week. He's a player who has had a very weird Penn state career, but to, uh, knock in one from 48 yards out. And it was at a pretty, you know, I don't want to say like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say, yeah, you know, I, I, I will say an important part of the game because that, uh, that ended up making it 20 uh four to six it was 21 six still a two score game at the time yeah. they sent him out there and he uh stepped up and blew it in so shout out to jake penninger for that one uh, last thing before we go nick we're through penn state's non-conference slate and no, we're, we're going to oh yeah national championship i know uh or what? we're through like the biggest part of penn state's not con- apologies to uh central michigan you are spiritually a big 10 team we're through the three big games or the two big games with Ohio in between. Oh, that yeah. was a revenge game though. So we'll throw that in three big games <laughs> of, uh, to start the season for Penn state. And I, I think that the most optimistic that I would have been about the Purdue and Auburn games was that if they were going to win both of them, they were going to have to play really gross, really disgusting football games and hope they could come out on top. Mm-hmm. Purdue, they didn't do that. Auburn, they definitely didn't do that. Yeah. Penn State is sitting at 3-0 and with the, two of their three biggest road tests on the year already in the rearview mirror. They go to Michigan on October 15th, and then they wrap up their road schedule with Indiana on November 5th, Rutgers on November 19th. How does all of that, where Penn State is now, in part compared to your preseason expectations, kind of adjust your outlook on the team as uh, you know as they go into their last non-conference game and then kick off the uh, real meat of their Big Ten schedule. Yeah, so I thinking about this question because it's something that we also talked about on the post-game spaces. Um, as we kind of went through our previews for the season. I had I became more optimistic about this team than I had been in like I don't know, like the middle of the summer. Um just cuz as we kind of broke it all down spot by spot, I was like, well, I kind of only see two holes and it's linebacker and maybe offensive line, and both of those groups are now playing better than they were even 2 weeks ago. That's fair. So, when we kind of came to a head with our preseason predictions, um, I don't think I actually ever made an official record prediction. I probably would have said nine and three to hedge a bit, assuming losses to Michigan and Ohio State, and then one of either Purdue or Auburn um, or Minnesota. I think that's a fair one to group with those as well. Um, though Whiteout definitely shades that a bit now. Yeah. But I think if anything, I mean, I I certainly feel better about the team. I'll say that. Obviously, they got through 
the three games that I thought they might lose one in. So for me, like now I'm automatically kicked over to 10 and two as far as that kind of prediction goes. But now that we've gotten through that portion where I thought nine and three was on the table, now it's kind of feeling like maybe 11 and one is the smart money. Uh, I don't want to say that this team could definitely beat Michigan or Ohio state or I mean, God forbid both. Um, I'm, I'm not ready to say that yet. And honestly, I probably won't ever be at a point to say that before they actually play Michigan since there isn't actually anything in the way before that game that would really make me, you know, be prepared to change that opinion. Um, but to me, I'm kind of at a spot now where I think they can win, you know, one of those Michigan or Ohio State games. I don't think I know which one I would say they're better prepared for, but... I, that that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, they've definitely improved as far as where I thought they would be before the season. Um, so I guess that, you know, I guess my outlook has changed to be a bit sunnier than it was initially as a result. So what I'll say is that coming into the year, I thought this Penn State team was an eight-win team. I thought they were going to lose one of Purdue or Auburn. I thought they were going to lose both of Michigan and Ohio State. And then one more somewhere in there, you know, I'd probably pick Michigan State. Uh, I think there's a world where they lose uh, to Maryland, but it basically involves, uh, you know, what happened in the 2020 game against Maryland. Yeah. Uh, You know, Minnesota suddenly looks good, but they're one of those teams I need to learn a little bit more against. You look at uh, Ohio State and Michigan. So far this season, uh, Michigan has per FPI about a 65% chance of winning that game. They have not played anybody so far this season and it's not like they have an easy schedule in the lead up to the Penn State game starting this week Maryland uh at Iowa Indiana and then Penn State I forgot uh, about that they have to go to Iowa I totally forgot it, about that did you see today they announced that's going to be a noon kick <laughs> that feels right God, I hate it. Uh, and then Ohio State beat a Notre Dame team that doesn't look nearly as impressive as it did at the time uh, and then whooped up on Arkansas State and Toledo. But their schedule leading into uh, the Penn State game, Wisconsin this week, that's at home, Rutgers at Michigan State, Iowa, and then at Penn State. I don't think, and, and this comes with the caveat that, you know, Purdue is a weird team and I don't know if Auburn's especially good. I don't think I have seen enough out of Penn State to think they will win either of those games. I think as of now, I will still pencil in both of those games, in my mind, as losses. You know, I think going to Ann Arbor has just been a really tough place for Penn State in recent years. Uh, And then Ohio State is Ohio State. Until I see Penn State do it, I'm just going to pick Ohio State to win. But what I suddenly feel a lot better about is I look at the rest of the schedule. Central Michigan, no. Northwestern, no, I don't think they're going to win that game. Who did Northwestern lose to this week? I know it was someone embarrassing. Uh, uh, Southern Illinois. Yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, they lost to Duke and Southern Illinois in back-to-back weeks after beating uh, Nebraska. Minnesota, they just lost uh, star wide receiver Chris Altman-Bell for the remainder of the season. Uh, but otherwise, they have not played anybody. We're going to learn a lot about them against Michigan State. Uh, the running back, Mohamed Ibrahim, is very good. But again, I want to see them do it. Uh, against better competition. Then you look at the back end of that schedule. At Indiana is always a little weird. I don't think Indiana is particularly good. Maryland went into why that could be a tricky game, but I also don't think Maryland is particularly good. We'll continue to find out more about them after they uh, you know, played a pretty soft schedule to start the year. Uh, 
Um, SMU is a good win. Uh, Rutgers is Rutgers, and then it's Michigan like Maryland State. Is what uh, they, they are what they have been. Like they don't. Yeah, yeah. And then Michigan State got embarrassed this week by Washington. So, which I, boy, I, Nick, did you watch any of that game? Oh yeah, I watched a whole bunch of it. They, yeah, Ooh, Penix just boy, tore him. Apart. My, Michael Penix, he he looks better than ever. But yes, like it's a very suspect uh, Michigan State team, and it's not the team that I think a lot of people pe- pegged them to be coming into the season. So, all of a sudden, it looks like you take out the possibility, and anything can happen. You know. Uh, Sean Clifford gets hurt. Drew Aller isn't ready or, uh, this guy gets hurt, that guy, whatever. Removing all that from it, because you never want to think about sports that way. It's really hard to see a scenario where there is that second loss for Penn state right now. Anything can happen as the season goes on. You know, I, we wake up tomorrow and again, someone's off the team or someone's Mm -hmm. this, someone's that, but as of now, Penn State has rose up to number 10 in FPI, and their projection on the season has moved to 9.6 wins, 2.5 losses. I think that sounds right. Those two losses and then, you know, the accumulation accumulation of everything turns into a bit of a coin flip. Um, but yeah, I think after winning these two, those first two of those first three games – in the manner that they won them, the Purdue game requiring them to dig deep and find something and pull a win out of thin air when it looked like catastrophe was about to strike. Sean Clifford has not, Penn State's offense has not turned the ball over since that pick six by Sean Clifford. That is remarkable. Hmm. That that was the kind of play that could literally derail your entire season. They bounced back from that by scoring a game-winning touchdown and have not given the ball to the other team since then. So we are in a situation now where Penn State has those two big hurdles. They will get to them when they get to them. But otherwise, we have seen glimpses of Penn State football being a team that uh, I don't want to say we didn't expect, but it was more the best-case scenario on them, Nick. and. We'll, we will preview, uh, we'll do the quarter season look in uh, a few days. That'll be a little bit later this week. But as of right now, if you're a Penn State fan, boy, it's really hard for me to think that you've gone from anywhere other than, you know, you know, now we're one or two weird bounces away from being a team that's competing for a spot in the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, and even if your even if your thoughts about like Penn State themselves haven't necessarily changed that much, like if you've watched, I mean, I guess you could be less optimistic about Michigan because JJ McCarthy looks pretty good, and you know they haven't played anyone, but they look solid. Um, yeah, and like Ohio State, you know they Mc- look- Mc- McCarthy McCarthy brings an element to their de- to their offense. They like their defense is worse, their offense is better, and they have a quarterback who raises their ceiling considerably, but, but I do want to see him against a kind of a, you know, a defense that's going to challenge him a bit more. Right. And you know, Ohio state looks as good as they typically do, but their marquee will win right now is against a Notre Dame team that looks like trash. And they have a, mm-hmm. you know, as you laid out, they have a tough road directly ahead of them leading into the game in happy Valley. So not going to be, you know, the easiest path for them. So yeah, I mean, even, there's really no reason why I to be less optimistic about Penn State than you were to start. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And 
We will get into some more uh, big picture stuff a little bit later this week. For now, boy, uh, I'm I'm going to be riding the high of this Auburn win for a few more days, man. Like it was, it really was something else. Uh, any final things to say before I wrap this pot up? It really made um, like watching whatever it was the Seahawks attempted to do on Sunday, knowing that I already had this Penn State win banked, made that a lot easier. So thank you, James Franklin. Yeah, and we are. Uh, you know, we are recording this on Monday afternoon. So this or Monday early evening. So this might be moot. Uh, but if you were a Penn State fan and a Bills fan or a Penn State fan and an Eagles fan and your team uh, kicks in the teeth of the uh, Tennessee Titans or the Minnesota Vikings tonight, please stay out of jail because nobody wants that. <laughs> uh, but thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go to get your podcast. If you're using Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see all the places you can subscribe, head to our Twitter bio, click on the link tree link, and you can see everything right there. Of course, make sure you are following us on our Twitter account. And make sure you're uh, picking up some shirts from Home Field Apparel. Again, if you were a first-time customer, promo code ROARLIONSROAR. One word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.